in my view, to be a journalist, you have to be curious. My wife calls it nosy. You have have a sense of ethics and a sense of integrity. Mm. You have to be uh, thick-skinned. If I came into my desk and my phone wasn't full of messages that said you're an idiot, then I wasn't doing my job. Hello, my name is Matt Diemer, former congressional candidate for Ohio's 7th District, and this is Cuyahoga Today, brought to you by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, where we bring you Democratic Party updates, political and informational conversations, everything that is happening in Cuyahoga today. Also, if you could, do us a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please click the five-star rating and leave us a nice comment. It helps people find this show and give them confidence when they click on it. If you're on any other app, like Spotify, there are also places where you can leave five-star ratings as well. If you have any questions or comments for me or the guests, you can reach out to M-D-I-E-M-E-R at kydem.com. That's M-Demer at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. And here are this week's news updates. This is your Executive Vice Chair, Juanita Brent. We have an important election coming up on August 8th. In this election, we encourage you to vote no, and I mean it, you gotta vote no, to ensure that we protect our democracy. See you at the polls August 8th. One person, one vote. Cuyahoga County Dems, we are in the final week of our Reproductive Freedom Ballot Initiative petition efforts. We have surpassed 22,000 signatures, almost at our goal of 25,000. If you have a petition, get it in this week to the Cuyahoga County headquarters. We are asking for you to drop this off by Thursday, June 22nd to the Cuyahoga County headquarters. Once again, we are in the final week of our Reproductive Freedom Ballot Initiative. Get in your signatures as soon as possible. We are approaching our goal of 25,000 signatures. Bring your petitions down to the Democratic Party headquarters located at 3615 Superior Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio, 44114. And here are your upcoming Democratic Club meetings and Democratic trainings. On Tuesday, June 20th at 5.30 p.m., Indivisible Strongsville is meeting. June 20th at 6 p.m., Northeast Ohio's Young Black Democrats are meeting. 6.30 p.m., Maple Heights Democratic Club is meeting. And at 7 p.m., Garfield Heights Democratic Club is meeting. On Wednesday, June 21st at 5 p.m., the 14th Ward of Cleveland is meeting, as well as the 7th Ward. And if you're in Berea, your Democratic Club is meeting at 6.30 p.m. on the 21st of June. On Saturday, June 24th, down at the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party headquarters on Superior Avenue, we have a canvassing training as well as a continued lecture on precinct governance. Now on our website, kydem.com, C-U-Y-D-M.com, it says it's for precinct and committee members. I was informed it's open to any Democrat that wants to join, so please feel free to join. And finally, on Monday, June 26th at 7 p.m., the Bay Village Democratic Club is meeting. Now moving into today's discussion, I am honored to welcome Dave Sarton, who is a 37-year veteran of the Cleveland Play Dealer, a 40-year veteran of journalism. And we discuss his experiences at the Plain Dealer, juxtaposing journalism 40 years ago to today. We try to define journalism, and in the midst of corporate media, blogs, podcasts, and YouTube channels, we try to define what a journalist is and how to maintain good local journalism. 
Enjoy. So we're sitting with Dave Sarton. He is a 40-year journalist veteran, 37 years at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Sir, I really appreciate your time coming down here this morning. You're welcome. Let's just start. Can you just introduce yourself a little bit, your history, your background? Before we even started, he started telling me stories. And one thing I told you is pick three stories for us to talk about today because we were doing petitions over in Bay Village, sitting there for about two hours. You were telling me all kinds of stories about the plane de- dealer, journalism, um, news, stories that you've done over you know the 40 years. And when we started today, you started telling me about your time in the Navy, and I didn't hear that story yet. So uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I graduated from the School of Journalism at Michigan State in uh, 1968. I worked for a small chain of newspapers in Michigan for a while. Uh, I got drafted, and I wanted to avoid the Army, so I joined the Navy. Uh, After the Navy, I came to Cleveland to visit my wife's family, and just as a lark, applied for a job at the newspaper at the plant dealer. And I thought I'd stay a couple years, uh, see how I like Cleveland, and 37 years later? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here. I actually enjoy Cleveland. I like it a lot. It's a very newsy town. It always has been. Uh, my time at the paper was, was a great fun. It was a challenge at times. At times, it, uh, it, it was just a great opportunity, and I, and I really did uh, like my time here. I spent about uh, 20 years plus on the street as a reporter. Most of my assignments were involving with local politics. I did about 15 years as a supervisor of other reporters. I was an assistant city editor and assistant metro editor, and for five years I was state editor, uh, responsible for the group of reporters who covered the governor and the state house. I really did enjoy my time at the paper. May I ask your age? I'm 76. Okay, and the reason why I asked that, everybody's going to say, well, why are you being so rude? Um, because I see you everywhere setting up tables at the uh, Democratic, you know, club meetings or events. I see you petitioning. I see you canvassing. I see you um, at the executive or central committee meetings. You're everywhere. Why being retired? You've done your things. You should be relaxing. Why are you working so damn hard? I decided a long time ago that I wasn't going to get old. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) you just decide you're not going to do that, and you just stay active. I'm actually involved in a couple other uh, nonprofits that are a lot of fun. Uh, one of them, my wife and I, volunteer as lighthouse keepers on Lake Michigan. Mm. Uh, there's a nonprofit. Wait, I'm sorry. Take that back. What? what? <laughs> there is a nonprofit organization near Ludington, Michigan, that uh, operates and maintains four lighthouses. <laughs> and we go there, and uh, basically, we're tour guides. And okay. about 60,000 people go through the lighthouses every year, and they climb the stairs, there's 130 steps, and they look over the uh, landscape, including Lake Michigan. It's a unique, it's a unique experience. Uh, lighthouses are probably use, useless in modern society. We have navigation systems that work pretty well, but they're an important piece of American history, uh, Americana, and it's just, it's just fun to do. Uh, separately, I volunteer at an organization uh, called Friend to Friend at uh, the prisons in Grafton. Uh, it's designed to uh, help uh, people who have been incarcerated for a long time uh, return back to society. Imagine that you've been in the slammer for 30 years. Right. Tell me about a cell phone. Tell me about ATM machines. Right. Tell me about debit cards. You go 
uh, meet in a friendship basis. You go and meet people who are about to get out of prison and help them uh, make that adjustment. Uh, it's a real challenge, but I enjoy doing it, and it's just, it, it feels like it's the right thing to do. So why the Democratic Party? And, and I'm asking this question. A lot of people don't know. We've already spoke about this uh, when we were canvassing. But again, you've, you're really busy. You're really active. What made you commit the way you're committing? I spent a long time, a professional career, trying to be objective, uh, trying to be fair, trying to make sure I re- reported a, a balanced uh, a news story, uh, both sides of the story, so to speak. And it's an it, it was an odd feeling to realize four or five years after I retired, I'm going to go ahead and get involved. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get involved with, uh, uh, with civics, uh, taking a role as, as a citizen. And I just, I believe in the Democratic Party ide- ideals. You said that you were basically being unbiased, um, trying to create um, even-handed reporting and journalism and you're doing that for you know 40 years, but 37 years at the Plain Dealer. Do me a favor, define journalism for me. In my view, to be a journalist, you have to be curious. My wife calls it nosy. You have, have a sense of ethics and a sense of integrity. Mm-hmm. You have to be uh, thick-skinned. Uh, if I came into my desk and my phone wasn't full of messages that said you're an idiot, then I wasn't doing my job. Uh, you, you had, you, you tried to be straight down the middle as as best as you possibly could. When I wrote a story that where the Republicans said I was too easy on the Democrats, and the Democrats said I was too easy on the Republicans, then I had done a good job because mm-hmm. I irritated both sides. <laughs> it sounds funny, but that's what I viewed as as uh, my job. You you don't you said you don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to go to school to be a journalist. Um. You don't have to go to journalism school. No, you don't. You have to be a good listener, uh, and you have to be curious. So the, so the whole point, then, of the job is just to have good questions, good conversations, do a little digging, do a little research, and present the information to the populace and have them decide? Yes, as best you can. Everybody brings their own prejudice to the table. Mm. Your life's experiences form your own biases. Right. You have to recognize what they are and try to avoid reflecting those biases in your work. Not many people can do that. It's hard. <laughs> did did you, do you think you did that? I hope I hope so. I hope so. Do you think Do you think people would, would do it? some of those messages you got? Do you think they think that? No. <laughs> no, I have I have people in my background who really deeply disliked me, and well, I, I had to put up with that. If somebody was looking at your bias writing over the forty years. How do you think they'll classify you? Like, would they say, oh, he's a, a liberal or he's a conservative or, or he's pro-worker or anti-worker? Or wh- how would they classify you, you think? What is your bias? That's a hard thing to answer for yourself. I don't know what they would say. Remember that in the earliest days, guys like Thomas Jefferson had a newspaper that was their mouthpiece. Mm. Newspapers were created to promote a political point of view. That lasted probably at least 100 years. And in, in around 1880, 1900, the publishers realized we're only reaching about half of our target. If we only write stories that are uh, promoting, for example, the Republicans, the Democrats aren't buying our paper. Mm. And believe it or not, around 1900, the publishers 
realize we could double our circulation if we were more neutral. So I'll tell you a story that reflects uh, my efforts. I wrote a story based on the outcry that happened when the RTA agreed to a hundreds and hundreds of million dollar contract to buy rapid cars from a company in Italy. Okay. There was a huge outcry from, from unions. There was a huge outcry, why can't you buy American? And at the time, there was an American company that could provide. What year was this? About 1980. And you talk about the stories just writing themselves over and over again. Don't about, they? Oh, yes. Yeah. There was a huge outcry, why do you have to buy them from Italy? I wrote that story reflecting that outcry. The executives at uh, RTA were shocked when I showed up at a community meeting where they were at driving a foreign car. They In 1980? Where are you driving in 1980? A uh, Volvo. Oh, okay. <laughs> an old Volvo. <laughs> Not a nice Volvo, an old Volvo. Okay. They said I was a hypocrite. Uh. Well, I didn't write the stories because I was bi-American. I wrote the stories because that was the topic of the day. Hmm. That was my efforts to be fair. They were shocked to see that I was driving a foreign car. But that's what you did as a journalist. Is you, what, you, you drove you, foreign cars? No, you, you, I mean, you tried oh. to be fair. <laughs> you wrote the story based on what was happening in the, in the community. So why did you buy a Volvo? Um, reputation for safety. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. And, and I, I shopped around and bought one that was you know used because <laughs> I could afford it. Journalism started as a biased entity. And then throughout evolution, they found out that they could make more money if they were more unbiased to get more people into the fold. Political journalism started. Political journalism. Yes, it did. It did. It, it started out to be purely biased. Around 1900, they began to write uh, more neutral stories and more uh, stories that would attract a broader interest. Mm -hmm. That led to something that was people popularly called yellow journalism, where it was, it was sensationalized it, to attract a larger number of readers. That evolved into uh, what I hope lasted a long time, and it was journalism that was more neutral. Mm -hmm. And that's probably become fragmented today. Uh, there are electronic websites, there are print operations that are entirely uh, biased and uh, only report a certain point of view. Uh, and pardon me, but the best example of that might be Fox News mm -hmm. uh, or MSNBC. MSNBC is pretty liberal. Fox News is pretty conservative. It almost seems like history is repeating itself. Thomas Jefferson right. had his own newspaper to deliver his message out to everybody. Sounds like a blog. Sounds like a YouTube channel. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so can you do me a favor and juxtapose your day as a journalist to what you see with journalism today? Is there a difference? Is there a huge um, skew? We always say that the media is biased. We're always saying that you know mainstream media or mainstream journalism is going away. We are having big discussions about what a local newspaper means or meant to society and to communities. What do you see? Let me ask you to repeat the question. I'm confused about what you're... Uh, uh, I'm not comfortable with the, the notion of uh, mainstream journalism. I mean, that means a lot, of, a lot mm. of things to a lot of people. We'll go into that a little bit because that is the talking point for a lot of... That is a big talking point for a lot of people right now. Mainstream media or mainstream journalism is doing X. Obviously, it means different things to different people. 
and is being communicated with different meaning by different people, but it is still a very used colloquialism, mainstream media. I think it's a misused term. Hmm. I'll tell you what it means to me. Okay. It means the major newspapers, the traditional newspapers. It means the traditional broadcast networks, uh, certain elements of cable news. I think everybody has their own definition of what mainstream journalism means. I have a very close friend who only listens to MSNBC. Mm -hmm. He's not participating in mainstream journalism. He's got one point of view, it's probably slanted, and he's missing out on what's out there. Uh, myself, I, well, for example, I subscribe to uh, The Plain Dealer, uh, the Detroit Free Press, probably because I have a, a family connection in Detroit. New York Times, Washington Post, Memphis Commercial Appeal, I, I just enjoy reading it. I listen to cable news only in the sense of CNN and the outlets that I, that I think are, are more neutral. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I don't do much with blogs, uh, probably because I'm old-fashioned and I just haven't got into that much. So everybody has their own notion of what main, mainstream journalism is. Right, right. So going back to my, my question is, do you see a difference between doing journalism from when you were a journalist to doing journalism now? Yes, there's probably more advocacy. And, and the Plain Dealers even uh, adopted a more a advocacy uh, point of view, and, they, and they've said that. They're, they're doing a, a lengthy group of stories on, on the uh, August election coming up, and they've pledged to, to write stories that are designed to, to show us the pitfalls of the proposal. Uh, they're doing uh, stories, a lengthy group of stories on childcare, designed to advocate to promote childcare. Mm -hmm. There's probably more advocacy going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The pillars of journalism or the journalism that's being done, I guess, in general today, still adheres to the ethics and, I guess, foundation that you learned when you went to the University of Michigan. Uh, excuse me, Michigan State. Sorry. <laughs> Big difference. Michigan. <laughs> the, the really nice people went to Michigan State. <laughs> Michigan State, taking notes here <laughs> when you went to Michigan State. When I went to Michigan State, the Cleveland newspapers were held as an example of what not to do in journalism. Believe it or not. Well, what do you mean? The, the best example of that was the uh, Sam Shepard trial. The textbooks at Michigan State made the example of this is not what you do in a trial. Can you, can you elaborate five year, more? I don't five know, five I don't years later, I came to Cleveland and, and got hired by one of the newspapers. Okay, so if you're talking about 30, 37 years at the Plain Dealer, you retired in 2008? Yes. And so that so you're now you're predating me probably by 15 to 18 years, so you have to tell me about this uh, the Sam Shepard trial. I understand that. A family doctor in uh, Bay Village was accused of murdering his wife. Okay. Uh, he went to trial, and the newspapers did a lot of things that were entirely unfair to him. He probably did, matter of fact, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that he did not get a fair trial because of the publicity pre-trial as well as what was going, in, going, going on in the trial. And he was ordered to uh, stand trial again. And he was released after the second trial. And there's lots and lots of people who believe that he was guilty. Mm. And there's lots of people who believe he was railroaded by both the Cleveland Press and the Plain Dealer. And in fact, there was a front page editorial that said bring, uh, 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 that said basically arrest the guy because he's guilty so, in, in, the, in the press. So, in, so people said like, this is not how you do journalism because you 
change the outcome because you um, change the popular people's opinion on the case. Therefore, you skewed the outcome of the, 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 the whole trial? Basically, that was, the, that was the accusation. I mean, this is back in the 60s, correct? Uh, in the 50s. In the fi- I'm older than that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm, my, my math is a little slow then. Um, I, didn't go to the, I didn't go to Michigan State, <laughs> as, you, as you could tell. Um, but this is almost common practice anymore then, like to make that kind of journalism. To make those oh, kind of I reporting. Think, I don't think it's that common. I don't think it's common practice. No? I don't think that kind of journalism is widespread these days. Okay. I, I, I don't. I don't. Okay. I want to talk about the importance of local journalism. Local journalism is critical, and that's something that's, uh, that has uh, uh, greatly diminished in the last few years with the local newspapers. And that's a, that's a result of economics. The, the, the web, the World Wide Web, has basically killed killed print journalism. There was a time when uh, uh, classified advertising for, for seeking jobs, real estate advertising, automobile advertising, grocery advertising, kept the newspapers afloat. Now people use the web for shopping, for job searches, for car searches. The economics have just dramatically ch- shifted, and print newspapers simply don't have the treasury that they re- required to, to really have local stories. The best example of that, uh, when, the news, when the plane dealer was most active and most economically healthy, there was 450 reporters, editors, photographers on the staff that were responsible for the uh, daily and Sunday paper, 450. Today, there's fewer than 70. And that's just for the Cleveland area? That's, or? that's just for the, for the entire staff. Washington, Columbus, mm-hmm. Suburban News. Today there's less than 70 people. You can't really expect them to do the kinds of local stories that they used to do. You told me a story about you. Um, I, I don't, can't remember if it was up in Bay or Kelly's Island. Um, <laughs> but uh, camping out there with uh, your uh, a photographer yes. or, one, or somebody else, part of your crew. And we got a tip that a local politician was, was taking bribes by parking his boat on Kelly's Island uh, at a marina uh, at no charge, and a, a number of other uh, accusations. So a photographer and I went out to spend the day on Kelly's Island uh, to try and scope that out. We basically pretended to be a tourist. You know, we bought an ice cream cone and, and a bag of chips and a pop and sat on a picnic table and watched to see what was happening at this marina. The tip was that it was a certain boat at a certain slip at the marina. After we were there for a while, we could realize we realized the boat hadn't been used in weeks. It was du- dusty and dirty, mm-hmm. and it just you could tell it just it really hadn't moved. Mm-hmm. And part of the tip was that only a few days before he had hosted the people who were bribing him on his boat for a fishing trip. That wasn't true. You could tell the boat hadn't been used. We decided to go to the marina owner's home and simply knock on the door and confront him and say, what about this? What's your side of this? He wasn't home, his wife was home, and she went ballistic and called the police. The police pretended to arrest us and and took us away on Kelly's Island to the little jailhouse they have there. And uh, after a phone call to our uh, lawyers, uh, we were released. We (laughs) We weren't really arrested. We were held for, you know, 10 or 12 minutes and uh, we, we left the island. The, the story simply didn't pan out. Right. It, it just didn't pan out. 
I don't think the plane dealer would have the resources to do that kind of thing now because you can't go from 450 people to 70 and really do that kind you of thing. You told me the power of the plane dealer, um, and I, that's why I wanted you to tell everybody this story is because you not only had the resources to basically stake out um, a lead, mm-hmm. um, you had your a crew with you, your camera crew, and you also had lawyers at your disposal if right. something happened so you guys can work out any kind of, you know. Right. It doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. They simply don't have the money to do that kind of thing. What does that do to our democracy? What does that do to uh, the populace's um, uh, understanding of what's happening? It diminishes. It certainly does. Is there any fix? There's not an immediate fix, I don't think, for newspapers, but uh, hopefully um, some of the local journalism that's going on can, can fill that gap. We have, Here in Cleveland, we have uh, 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 the land, a signal. We have the Marshall Project. Mm-hmm. There's some things going on that, that are going to fill, fill some of those gaps. The Marshall Project just did a wonderful story about, about a local judge who seemed to be steering hundreds of thousands of dollars of court work to a certain lawyer who mm. happened to be a personal friend. Mm. Great story. And it was done, uh, I, I have to tell you, by a, a former plain dealer reporter who's now working at the Marshall Project. Okay. I want to hear another story. Do you have any more stories about working at the plain dealer? Uh, sure. One of my favorite stories uh, is a reflection of how our, our culture has changed uh, dramatically over the years. In the 70s, a, um, a single mom wrote a letter to the editor explaining that the family dog had gone missing and the family dog uh, was cherished by her young son and the family dog was ill. Uh, for whatever reason, she didn't put her phone number in the letter. The letter came in to the, to the editor's uh, letter to the editor's department, and one of the big bosses came out with this letter and looked around the room and said, uh, "You go find this dog." Pointing at you. Pointing at me. <laughs> so I got on the phone, and as you probably know, there was at least fifteen separate dog pounds in Greater Cleveland, and I called around and. By describing what I knew the dog to look like, I found the dog. Um, no phone, no phone call. I couldn't make a phone call to the lady, so I drove out to the lady's house. It was in University Heights. Couldn't get anybody to answer the door, so I aggressively I pounded on that front door. <laughs> the front door swung open. I stepped inside the house. I could hear sounds of a from the bathroom. Somebody was taking a bath in the bathroom. I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs of the suburban home, and there's somebody upstairs in the bathroom. Mm. I yell up, Dave Sarton from the plane dealer. I got a letter. Are you the person who wrote the letter? The lady's voice answers, I'm in the tub. Okay. I can't come down. I explained, I found the dog, and she said, my son's at school. He'll be home in a minute. Take him and go find the dog, go to the dog pound. This lady, she's never met me. Uh-huh. She's telling me to take her eight-year-old in the car to get... Unheard of. To go get the dog. Unheard of today. That would never happen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pound on the door and step in somebody's house. I would assume even if she said, hey, take, take my eight-year-old, you'd be like, uh, no, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so we went down to the pound. It was the one in the flats. 
and uh, there was a $17 fine. I had $17 in my pocket. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, $17. This was about 1975. We got the dog, went back to the house, took a picture. I wrote a story. The dog's name was Winston, and I never heard from the lady again. Did you get reimbursed for that $17? Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> yes, I did. So what does that story mean to you, and what does that mean? What does that tell you about society? People don't trust in, in each other. I mean, I trust you because I know you, but am I going to trust a stranger? Is a, is a lady going to trust me to tell me to take her son in the car? It, it's a shame. Hmm. It, it makes you think. It makes you think. I guess the last thing I want to ask is, you, you mentioned Signal um, and other, I guess, independent projects for journalism. What do, you, what do you think of this new era of YouTube and podcasts? And what do, what do you think of all I'm of all this? for it. You're I, all I, for it? Oh, yeah. The oh, more, yeah. the better. Everybody yeah. has an opinion, and you say just get it all out there? Uh, yes. That's part of democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever outlet you can use, why not? I, I think the public is smart enough to realize where the charlatans are. And those will be found over time. Uh, I think it'll all shake out. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that, that kind of thing going on. Uh, for example, I, I don't mind paywall. I, I, paywalls on news sites. It costs money to produce news. So why not create a revenue stream that, that, that provides that kind of uh, e economics? Mm -hmm. But do you think that this is sustainable for, say, the local um, arena as well? Because you just said, like, we're talking about... It's probably not sustainable for some people. Because, uh, I don't think everybody who's got a blog is going to survive. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. Last question. And first, before I ask you, I want to say just thank you for your time. Thank you for the stories. Um, thank you for just going over your years of being a journalist and talking about modern journalism as well. Last question is, what do you want to see from journalism in the future? I'm thinking hard on that one. Reframe the question. Are we in a good journalistic place? We went through this conversation talking about the resources the plane dealer had. Uh, we also went through the, this conversation talking about the different um, people who are breaking out to make sure that they're supporting local journalism in communities. We went through this conversation to um, talk about how everybody has blogs and um, you know, their own th things going on to give their opinion out there. And it's a good thing, but it might not be sustainable. Andrew Yang, uh, who was a former Democratic um, uh, presidential candidate, he wrote in one of his books how local journalism needs to be subsidized because of the inability for mainstream journalism, which I know we, have a we are trying to define that as well, but these big companies, the plane dealer, CNN, and so on and so forth, do not make revenue from just focusing on local stories, that those are the things that communities and people really matter, uh, that really care about, and that that makes communities whole, and also gives people more focus on local matters, which spills out into a more prosperous community. And so with the different things we spoke about today, I'm kind of asking you if, do you think that media or journalism is in a good place? And if not, do you see that there's steps that we can take to make it, to get it to a better place for the benefit of democracy and our communities and our state. Okay, I would encourage people to select one or more of these local projects and support it. Uh, pay for it. Pay for, yes, pay for Share it. Share it. Uh, either through donation or supporting advertisers or um, subscriptions. M most forms of journalism is 
but ultimately it's a business. You have to pay the bills. You have to pay reporters, the truck drivers, the, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. Uh, I, I would encourage people to simply select a few of these local projects and support them. Because the, the local projects are what's filling in the gap that the uh, larger projects are, are, are walking away from. Dave, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. That's M-Demer at Kydem.com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week.